starting. All right, hello everyone. Welcome to the weekly UK Sangha. Um, I'm here with DJ and Dr. Susan, uh, my wise and uh, compassionate friends. Um, there wasn't any uh, topics of conversation that uh, immediately came up. So as per usual, I, I have some suttas that uh, I picked out that I'm just going to read. And uh, if anything pops up from that, we can uh, talk about that. Um, the first sutta that I picked out is uh, it's uh, it's from the Sutta Nipata, and it's called the Metta Sutta. And uh, it's a one point eight. It's kind of confusing because. It's like SNP 1.8. It's not SN 1.8. SN 1.8 is a different thing. But the abbreviation I see it as is SNP 1.8. And um, this translation is by uh, Lawrence Cantipalo Mills. So I've never uh, seen that translator before, but uh, this is a pretty famous uh, popular sutta. It is the loving kindness sutta, which is a uh, uh, typically a, a foundational tenet of not only Buddhism but um, religion and spirituality across almost every single tradition. Is um, you'll find some aspect of uh, loving kindness that is emphasized as uh, holy and virtuous either state of mind or quality of uh, divinity or God or whatever you want to call it, um, enlightenment. Um, but uh, it's a good thing uh, in a nutshell. And we want to try to experience more of it and um, find out what's getting in the way of us experiencing that and taking the right effort to get rid of those uh, um, obstructions to uh, the liberating experience of love. And um, if you uh, if you develop access to this wellspring of internal loving kindness, you have essentially hacked. Uh, you've hacked the human needs mecha mechanisms of looking for love and being dependent upon other people for love, which is this one of the greatest source of of misery and loneliness uh, that we as humans experience. Right, so. Probably one of the most uh, miserable states that you can experience is looking for love in another person and not getting that love. So now you feel cut off. Uh, when in actuality, the love uh, um, may sound cliche to say this, but love comes from within. It never comes um, from external. So even if you are um, experiencing love for another person, it's they're not you're they're you're not receiving their love. You're you're emitting, you're sending out love towards towards that person. You've just set up a bunch of rules and circumstances for that for that love to be radiated. 
So if if this person only if this person behaves a certain way, can I experience uh, love for this person, right? So um, in that sense, that that type of love is is uh, it's based off conditions that will inevitably disappoint you. So as we know, um, everything is impermanent. Even our most dearest relationships, our most loved and dear loved ones, uh, our parents, our spouses, our children, um, they're not going to last forever. Okay, so so um, recognizing that uh, we can experience love um, that is for the benefit of ourselves and the uh, and our uh, relation, our close relationships and loved ones, but um, um, comes from a source of wisdom that recognizes if I place my love on something that's if I make my love dependent on something that's inherently uh, impermanent and subject to disintegration, then um, I will experience suffering as a result of that. So uh, we we are essentially cultivating a more um, a more sublime version of love that's uh, measureless, as uh, the suttas will say. So I guess that's enough of a preface um, to reading this sutta. So I'll just get right into it. Okay, what should be done by one who is skilled in wholesomeness? To gain the state of peacefulness is this. One should be able, upright, straight, and not proud, easy to speak to, mild and well content, easily satisfied and not caught up in too much uh, and not caught up in too much bustle, and frugal in one in, in one's ways, with senses calmed, intelligent, not bold, not being covetous when when with other folk. So not being covetous when, when with other folk. So essentially, uh, have you ever been in a conversation where you were just waiting for your turn to talk and not actually listening to the other person? So like there's kind of like a greediness uh, of trying to be the center of attention. I, I think we all can relate to this at some point or time. Um, so any social interaction that you have isn't based upon like uh, authentic uh, connection and uh, and relation to these people. It's based off what can I get out of this social interaction to uh, up my position in the social hierarchy. So that would be um, kind of like a, a wrong motive. Um, so being covetous when with other folk. Not even doing little or maybe you are a guru and you need to go into another uh, Sangha to try to prove to them how enlightened you are. <laughs> so there, <laughs> there's another um, kind of weird example that this may manifest. Um, not even doing little things that other wise ones blame. So. Uh, maybe you lose your temper and say some um, nasty things. That would be uh, something that a wise one would blame. Okay. 
and this the thought that one should always hold may beings all live happily and safe and may their hearts rejoice within themselves Okay, I'm going to mute you, but please feel free to unmute yourself uh, uh, when you're ready to talk. Um, okay. May all beings live happy, happily and safe, and may their hearts rejoice within themselves. Whatever there may be with breath of life, whether they be frail or very strong, without exception, be they long or short, or middle-sized, or be big or small, or dense, or visible, or invisible. So we're covering all bases here. Uh, whether you're an invisible um, or visible being, so like even ghosts, <laughs> or whether they dwell far or dwell near. So people, your immediate neighbors, or people living on the other side of the planet in China, um, those that are here, those seeking to exist, may all beings, may beings all rejoice within themselves. Let no one bring about another's ruin and not despise in any way or place. Let them not wish each other any ill form, uh, any ill from uh, provocation or enmity. Just as a mother at the risk of life loves and protects her child, her only child, so one should cultivate this boundless love to all that live in the whole universe. Yeah, that's powerful. So um, the, the same kind of unconditional love that a mother has for her child this, uh, a selfless kind of love um, a mother would have for her only child that would just only want the benefit of that child with pure and uh, wholesome intention, um, not trying to gain anything from that child as a transactional form of love. I'll give you this love as long as my needs are met, right? It's an unconditional type of love so one should cultivate this boundless love to all that live in the entire universe so this this kind of love um some might call it like a christ consciousness or something like that um but it it has a powerful uh heart opening um aspect to it so it's an internal experience that's uh its purpose is to crack you open so kind of uh it kind of like it releases all kinds of fears and tensions and and things that are held up inside of your body mind and uh, opens up to the, ex the the expansion or the experience of love uh, for that is uh, that doesn't have a specific destination for it's is for the entire universe. So it just uh, radiates in all directions. And um, that is kind of like if you're doing that, 
um, that is a jhanic experience. So the direct experience of that is, uh, um, it could be experienced as boundless consciousness, even uh, one of the formless jhanas. Or you could just be, um, if there's still thoughts and there's still form present, it could be um, anywhere from first um, to fourth jhana. But it, the, the, the point is it's completely wholesome. So whether or not you're experiencing boundless love, okay, but kind of like a, it's a state that's possible, but um, it is a, kind of like a, you know, it's one of the higher states of consciousness that can be activated. But the point is that you're not thinking any harm, like you're not thinking any harm for any beings. You're not thinking, or for yourself, more important more importantly almost so you're not thinking oh why did i do this you're not guilting or shaming yourself or how could they have done this to me how dare they how dare they do that to me <laughs> right these kinds of thoughts <laughs> so all we're thinking is oh i wish nothing i wish nothing but these beings happiness and rejoice within themselves and i wish nothing but happiness for myself and and that experience of love um that is so healing um for myself and for all beings of the universe okay um so this is a practice that we should do as men, as much as we need it um so um loving kindness is always a good practice to practice and we should do it as much as we need it. If we feel we're not getting something, if we feel neglected, we're not getting something we need from somebody else, this is the method to give ourselves what we need. And so we can come to a peaceful state of contented uh, satisfaction. Um, OK, let's see, where did I leave off? Let no one bring about another's ruin and not despise in any way or place. Let them not wish each other any ill from provocation or enmity. Okay. Uh, extending from a consciousness sublime upwards and downwards and across the world. Untroubled, free from hate and enmity. And while one stands or walks or sits or lies down, still free from drowsiness, one should be intent on this mindfulness. This is divine abiding here, they say. But when one lives quite free from any view, is virtuous, with perfect insight one, and greed for selfish desires let go, uh, one surely comes to no, no more be reborn. All right, so you're free from uh, the cycle of it all. Um, and you have the key to set yourself free. Um, okay, so that's, it's a pretty short sutta. I have uh, some other things that I want to read that are slightly related, but kind of unrelated. So um, is there any... Um, Thing anyone wants to say about uh, the practice of metta? Yeah, yeah, I can go ahead. Um, go. 
Okay. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I, I actually practiced um, more like specifically focused med meditation for a while um, before I started practicing like with the Anapanasati. Um, so that was really cool because I mean, it did bring about those like feelings and what have you. But it, it's interesting because it doesn't have to when we practice on Upanasati, it doesn't have to be necessarily apart from that because it can still come in like a, a wholesome sort of gladdening thing like meta, right? And it doesn't have to be apart from the breath either. Like even if you think some thoughts, um, you know, uh, like, man, you know what? I really do feel good right now. Wouldn't it be nice if, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, may all beings feel as good as I do right now, because that's got the confidence baked in, right? But sometimes, yeah. this is where Don Murado talks about it, sometimes in a little bit of a, a critiquing way with, like, the may all beings be happy, including me, right? Is It can kind of come from that place of I'm fr coming from whack, right? But if you're like, <laughs> hot dog, I got it, right? And, like, radiating that sort of joy it can be yeah. quite quite nice as well. But, um... Another thing, too, that came to mind, which might be a fun way to practice it. Um, I don't know if you've seen the Mr. Rogers movie, right? But uh, I, Rogers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was a movie where I think he, well, he was played by um, or Tom Hanks or something. And um, he had this thing where he would just say somebody's name over and over again. I'm like, that's almost like a meta practice, right? Where if you like with a specific sort of person or what have you. So that might be an interesting way to do it as well. So there, there's a couple of different ways. But yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so kind of one of the trappings of, of yeah. this practice is uh, um, people get lost in the, uh, the, the may all beings be happy. Um, kind of chant it like a mantra so this is kind of like a feeling um you can say may all beings be happy may i be happy um all day long and actually not experience any loving kindness from from that um from that mantra yeah. that you're repeating inside your mind yeah. so the the idea is that this is a feeling meditation okay um so you want to do something within your mind to bring up that feeling of love uh that we all know is love right we've all we can experience love just like we can all agree that the color blue is blue um love is a, an unmistakable experience and we know uh we know it when it's there so yeah the idea is to bring up that feeling yeah yeah precisely it's not like just chanting that mantra over and over again and then have it not sort of <laughs> play out i when, when i did practice with that it did work you know a lot of the time in terms of bringing that up especially after you know practice with it um but then you kind of drop the mantra sometimes and just go with that feeling um but yeah sometimes it's like you can bring up like thinking about like a puppy or something and then yeah. kind of treat yourself like you would that puppy you know, or like in the sutta, right, it talks about, you know, kind of as a mother loves her child, her only child, you know, um, so true. So, too, should one cherish all, um, you know, beings. But that that's coming from a different translation. But, you know, that's the one that I've often heard. Yeah. Yeah. So another thing is um, another way this can be interpreted is like uh, internal family systems approach to. So like like a mother loves her only child. Um, 
you give love and nourishment to that inner child that feels uh, neglected or feels uh, not enough, feels unlovable, that inner child within yourself, you love that very uh, child that is afraid and confused and what have you. Maybe it's angry and, and you love that child and give it as much love as it needs. Um, um, because that, that, that's very important because there's different levels of our experience. So there is an inner adult, the voice of wisdom, the voice of truth that knows right from wrong. And then there, there is the inner child that doesn't know any better and then acts based off instincts and emotions. And, uh, a lot of times within ourselves, it's just bad parenting. It's it's just uh, go to your room or just harsh punishment for that when uh, when those emotions and feelings do come up. Um, the the parenting uh, mechanism that we have for ourselves is usually unloving, right? And uh, what is the result of an unloving parenting strategy for that? kid usually not very good right so the best form of parenting is just giving that child love yeah. um so it's 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 the true it's the it's the same within our our own um levels of maturity within ourselves so we may not be experiencing our inner child until we come across someone that really brings it out of us maybe they trigger some past hurt that, that happened in early childhood and and that type of person brings that that um that same um hurt that is very old right and so you respond to it the way that you did when you were a child um so so then uh the the only thing to do is recognize what's going on and then uh then give that child that inner child uh the love and nourishment it needs um to mature and be okay and then so once you do that um thoroughly um you can do that for even just everybody around you and uh even the the concept of uh space time and distance is kind of dissolved by the by the um, unifying capacity of the experience of love. So love without measure. So it goes in all directions. You, you're not just feeling it and for this forward. What about up, upwards, backwards, downwards, side to side? So love that is sort of uh, needing out the knots within your experience or the solidities um and uh integrating things dissolving things into uh a more vast uh spacious sort of experience yeah yeah that's cool oh sorry go ahead Avery. Oh, how can one get into the state where they experience that sort of uh outward and uh, encompassing love yeah so it's 
ba- mainly based on the activity of your mind. So um, if your mind is uh, thinking thoughts, uh, woulda, coulda, shouldas, or thoughts of that is uh, uh, blame or judgment uh, of yourself or anyone else, um, these thoughts are the main barrier to this experience of love. So the 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 first step to do is to identify these kinds of unwholesome thoughts and then take the right effort to change them to thoughts of uh, everything's okay, all right? Everything's fine. I'm okay, you're okay. Everything's fine just the way that it is. And what, what, when you start thinking uh, habitually these kinds of thoughts, love is a much more natural experience. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I, I'll be doing something and I'll notice some kind of like judgment of myself. I think I get out of that a lot from my previous experience. Um, I'm trying to unlearn or just notice when I have like thoughts of judging myself and then like trying to let them go and maybe breathe into it and be like, well, I don't have to judge myself. It's all okay. Like everything's fine as it is. I don't have to do anything about that. I don't know. No, congratulations. (laughs) So even spotting that, those thoughts um, is a huge victory already. It means you're awake. Oh, welcome. Good to have you, man. Um, Good to see you, Victor. We're, we've just been talking about uh, loving kindness, and uh, it's good for you. <laughs> <laughs> loving um, kindness is good for you. <laughs> no description needed. <laughs> it's good for you. So uh, that's another thing that's very uh, powerful practice motivator is just realizing what's good for you and what's bad for you. Okay. Um, how does an alcoholic stop being an alcoholic? They have to really realize how much it's um, fucking up their life, right? Or sorry for my language. But uh, how much is that alcohol messing their whole entire, how bad really is it for them? And they realize this is bad for me in every way. And they realize even the parts where they think it makes them feel good is really not feeling that good. It's It's actually just bad for them in disguise so it's illusory false deceptive um the the buddha describes sensual pleasures here and now and sensual pleasures in life's to come as the prattle of fools illusory false deceptive so even the temporary benefit that you may experience from them is kind of like a deceptive thing that's ends in more suffering than happiness that it gave you so that so once you realize what is good for you what kind of thoughts are good for you and what is bad for you then it's kind of like a common sense thing not to to start to not think those thoughts and start to think thoughts that are good for you right so it's a um learn by doing thing Right, you see the how much benefit is in the practice. You experience the benefit for yourself, and then you gain confidence in the practice that this can only lead to good, and more and more good. So you're gonna want to do it more, right? <laughs> so that's so then you're really gonna start to change those habits, and even the when the habitual tendencies come up, 
um, you see the harm that is doing. So you get angry, right? You get angry at someone. It might make you feel powerful in the short time. Oh, that anger. Because you're afraid, you're, you feel defensive, you feel you need to defend yourself. So then anger is a, is, as a coping mechanism to that fear. Uh, you feel big and powerful in the short term, but really you're all, you're all, um, you're preventing yourself from the experience of love and the experience of wishing others well, no matter who they are, even the people you hate, even the politicians that you hate. Okay, those, yeah, I'm sure you guys all thought of someone in particular, right? So even them, <laughs> uh, because otherwise you're harming yourself. That's the point here. To hold resentment, to hold anger, to wish harm upon others is literally harming yourself and creating suffering for yourself. So you see, okay, that's bad. <laughs> Let me not do that because um, there's a better way. Um, yeah, anything? Go for it. To, to comment on that, it's sometimes just getting the courage to actually believe in the tradition and just realize you're not smarter than tradition is like over two millennia or like smarter than grandmasters. Because sometimes the mind is like, oh, uh, people. Okay, so like Domerado and just other people like more experienced, they say, oh, just just don't go just just overboard on judging yourself or just don't be so anxious or just don't just be angry because that's oh, whatever. And then like your mind is like, oh, but just I need to be like that just this moment and then I'll just I'll just get better. But that's just like fooling yourself and thinking you're just more just just that those people haven't been through that already and just don't really know better. So I, I just that's that's something that I've been thinking about recently because I'm always like, oh, I, I just realized I'm starting to judge myself. I'm like, just 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 stop it. OK, like and then I remember all the people like Mahaboa and Ajahn Chah, like they all talk about similar experiences and they all have been through that. So they're just sharing something that was accumulated over years. So that's something that we, we should also take into account, I, I believe. Yeah, so, um, but um, the the important thing that you, you mentioned yourself, Victor, even, is not, it's not blind faith in a tradition or a guru or a preacher or a teacher, because there's a lot of con artists out there, right? Um, so the important thing is recognizing something that is universally true, irrespective of that tradition or teacher. And oh, so- got it. okay. Yeah, so you can see that there is some sort of happiness or love that is as the result of true wisdom, and you may see it in a particular manifestation of this particular teacher, this particular tradition, but it's not dependent upon that particular person, teacher, or tradition, right? It's something that you can see is true for them, as true as it will be for yourself. So it's mainly based I on to, I have to be right back, by the way. Okay. All right. Cheers. Good to have you. Um, so it's not based on um, them saying all the right things. Because you, there might be someone who's saying all the right things, but they're full of shit, right? They're not actually happy within themselves, okay. right? It's it's based on the <laughs> happiness. And you, 
maybe somebody's happy and maybe they make a mistake and they don't say the right thing sometimes. <laughs> but then you can overlook that. You can see what is really matter here is the happiness and the love. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the truth, gosh. And and happiness is contagious, right? Like we all like have we've all had the experience of contagious laughter and how what a joy and a relief it is to be laughing along with other people and like a group of other people. Um, a whole room of people laughing together. That's that's a beautiful experience, right? So that's kind of our intuition that we can tell about somebody who's teaching or preaching something, right? Um, is there that contagious joy? Is there that contagious happiness? What is the fruit of this teaching, right? And you'll see that it's not even specific towards this teaching, although I think the, the Buddha's teaching of the Dhamma is uh, the most intelligent, uh, unsurpassed um, elaboration of spiritual wisdom that I've ever come across. And uh, it's never really failed me. And so you can hear that from some, you can hear a testimony like that. And then the, and, and so you develop faith or develop shraddha, you develop confidence in it, but then you verify it for yourself, right? You don't think, oh, this person, this, this guru is going to lead me to enlightenment if I only just keep listening to him and I pay for it. <laughs> And I pay pay for his retreats in Costa Rica, and I pay for his course or whatever. <laughs> then that's going to lead me to enlightenment. No, um, the Dhamma is more like, uh, here's the way. Now go and do it for yourself. You verify it for yourself. But yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, if you're going to learn math from from some math professor, you have to have faith to a certain extent that this person can teach you math, right? <laughs> but that's not quite the same as a devotion to a guru is going to a math class to learn math from a math professor, right? You go home, you practice the equations on your own. Uh, so it's completely, there's no weird parent-child guru relation. It's completely like you're on your own, okay? Yeah, we, we, we come here as a community to celebrate friendship and and uh, that is a very powerful practice in and of itself. And through our interactions with each other, uh, we learn more about ourselves and, other, and others. Everything is a growth opportunity. But ultimately, nobody can shove how to do math into your brain for you. You have to actually practice on your own and learn how to do it. Um, and and that's, that's when you become a spiritual adult, when you realize you have to do it on your own. Um, this is what the Buddha like really emphasized this too. Uh, be a light unto yourself. Okay. Um, there is a way to to uh, to the end of suffering, and the ways uh, has been clearly clear cut. Has been clearly um, elaborated by the Buddha thousands of years ago, and passed down through the generations and recorded in the text. And uh, just as you can learn um, how to do differential equations, you can learn it in a textbook, but yeah, but it's 
it's kind of easier if someone helps you, teaches you step by step uh, first. But hypothetically, you could just learn it from a textbook. And I feel the same way about the, the, the teachings of the Buddha. You could, if you really read and put into practice the suttas, you don't need a, even a guru or a teacher of those. It's, yeah, it's it maybe a little bit more difficult, just like learning math from a textbook with no one else to help you, but it is possible. So um, I encourage anyone's own research and um, development of their practice through their own uh, inquiry and investigation. Uh, yeah, is there anything else that popped up for anyone there? Or should I continue? Actually, I'm going to step in. Go for it. Um, so the love, I'm going to take you back to loving kindness to Meta. Okay. Um, and I, I suppose it's just, gosh, several things. Loving kindness, compassion, you know, sharing love, receiving and giving to yourself love. Um, seems to me to be one of the most central things um, that we could practice. Makes a big difference to our lives whilst impacting on other lives as well, um, mm -hmm. because we're acting like that. Um, one, of the, I, one of the hardest challenges, I think, is when you combine that with equanimity, having, not having, that's there's an error there's my brain <laughs> misstepping um the idea of um practicing meta um, amongst everyone towards everyone yeah. irrespective right. of what they're doing who they are what they've done right. all the rest of it right so yeah there is that that's a really important point uh susan brought up is the equanimity part so that that's one of the four brahma viharas there's a loving kindness compassion sympathetic or altruistic joy and uh, equanimity um and you kind of got you need all four um because loving kindness without equanimity uh could get you in trouble so you you ex you are experiencing so much loving kindness and but you don't have any equanimity towards the the suffering of others so you end up uh experiencing their suffering out of because you think um that that's the loving thing to do to try to sympathize with someone who's suffering so you may want to try to experience their suffering in order to relate to them better so this is a not the what we're talking about so we're experiencing loving kindness but with um indifference to what happens what these people do what happens to other people right so, I, would, I wouldn't use the word indifference indifference is it can be um misunderstood yeah that's why I'll, oftentimes I preface indifference with a holy indifference. I saw you pause and then use the word and I thought, yeah. <laughs> so, and, yeah. And equanimity. Um, uh, 
the the words that that is used instead of indifference that's um, translated as one of the steps to um, to untangling yourself from the happenings of the world is dispassion. So yeah. disenchantment and dispassion. I, I think disenchantment is a translation of vairagya or vira, one of those poly words. Um, but uh, disenchantment and dispassion, right? Yeah. It can seem like from the outside looking in or um, if you misunderstand that word, it can seem like it's unloving, but that's not really what's going on. No, and it's it's certainly in my experience, it, it's the difference between being empathic, which can be actually really traumatic for the person feeling that empathy. So right. the difference between empathic and compassion, actually, where there is that element of meta. You do care, but actually you also recognize you don't you you can't control the outcomes here. Yeah. You, you don't have that power. You know, yeah. rushing in and rescuing is not necessarily yeah. the very best approach. It's the most common approach, but it's not the best approach. Um, right. And the equanimity, well, I've certainly the way I've been thought about it is the equanimity being, for example, being able to be uh compassionate loving practice meta for example towards someone who's actually carried out the most awful act as opposed to someone who's just bought bought us a bowl of fruit right that that's that's a real challenge that that made me think of there's a very powerful video of uh this man in a courtroom uh he, he was a muslim man um and the 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 person um who's being convicted of first degree murder has killed his uh his son and uh there's a footage of him actually going up to this man and giving him a hug this man who killed his son and that video is very powerful it almost brings me to tears when i watch it so there's something very profound there there's something very profoundly right going on within that man's practice and mind, even though he may be from a Muslim tradition, right? That that m- many other people within that tradition may not be practicing unconditional love, right? But he is, so it can be found within any tradition, and so much so that he can hug the man who killed his his only son. Now that's that's powerful, and 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 you know what that that does is that that may spark, and you could see it in the 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 killer's eyes, that same love. So it it even opened the killer's heart to love, and it and it prevented um, that dad from experiencing a great amount of suffering, misery, and grief that would come from hating this person, right? If he if he harbored hatred towards this person, although it may be justified, right? The the hatred may be um, 
may be seen as a just hatred, right? They killed your son. Of course you can hate this person. But you see that the hatred only harms yourself. So um, every everyone goes through their own cycles of coming to that understanding. But this man was so wise that he could understand it immediately and chose love instead. And so this just goes, it all ties back to um, Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. It's only for the sake of recognizing suffering and uh, bringing it into suffering or following the path that leads to the end of suffering, irrespective of uh, the stories that we tell ourselves of why we're right or somebody else is wrong. Um, so it's all about the end of suffering. So. That's the guiding compass for the experience of love and kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy. I think sympathetic joy is a really um, underrated Brahma Vihara. So there's that's that's for pretty much the purpose of Sangha is to experience like joy um, sympathetically, so joy altruistically. We can all get together and. Um, be joyful together, and so that's kind of a boundary, um, a boundary dissolving experience too. Like I was talking about before, uh, in a group of la all laughing together in a group, all of your differences are put aside in that moment that you're experiencing altruistic joy. You're not thinking, "Oh, I'm this person over here, that's that person over there," and we have all these differences and and ways that. Um, we're different and we don't understand each other. They don't understand me. We completely understand each other when we're um, experiencing that shared experience of joy. And um, there's essentially like in that moment or the split seconds of joy, there's no self there. So there's no concept of me. There's just, okay, joy, 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 joy is happening, right? And if we if we pay attention to this experience of joy, we can um, we can investigate the qualities of it, right? Does it have a shape? Does it have a form? What is it? So um, don't forget about vipassana even while you're experiencing loving kindness. It's best to combine combine the two. So um, if you, you can actually get really good at the jhanas and get really good at practicing jhanas and getting into blissful states and not get any insight or wisdom out of it. And the jhanas are impermanent. Sometimes you will be feeling loving kindness. Sometimes you won't. Right. It's not it's not a sustainable thing. Even the loving kindness, it, it's states that are inherently impermanent. Just all of conditioned reality is impermanent. So that's where the equanimity comes in for even about the loving kindness. And this ties into um, just some short snippets from uh, the numerical discourses that I wanted to read. Because um, when, when someone's first practicing the jhanas, this might not, not be as relevant because they're still just building the skill of that jhana. But for someone who um, has been practicing the jhana, it's, it's kind of important. Um, piece of wisdom. Uh, so this is from uh, the Anguttara Nikaya, uh, the Book of Fours. And um, 
Suta number 124. And uh, Bikus, there are these four kinds. Oh, are you heading out? Oh, okay. Bye. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bikus, there are these four kinds of persons found existing in the world. What for? Here, Bikus secluded from sensual pleasures. Some persons enters and dwells in the first jhana, ellipses. He contemplates whatever phenomena there pertain to form, feeling, perception, volitional activities, and consciousness as impermanent, as suffering, as a disease, as a boil, as a dart, as misery, as an affliction, as alien, as disintegrating, as empty, as non-self. All right, so someone experiencing uh, first jhana still contemplates form, feeling, perception, volitional activities, consciousness. So the five, so all of the five aggregates that are still present there in first jhana as suffering, as a disease, as a boil, as a dart, as misery. So not just... Uh, it's it's kind of like it's not as good as nirvana, but um, it's still pleasurable. Like ooh, first jhana. No, like any sort of form, any like volitional formation, any feeling that you have, any experience that you have of uh, manifested existence is mis misery. So this can be kind of tricky. Um, this is kind of an advanced insight, right? This is not what you practice when you're not in jhana. But when you're in first jhana, when you're in jhana, you can actually contemplate the non-self suffering and impermanence of the all of the um, experiences you have of uh, a body, all of the experience you have of, of thoughts, all the experience you have of volitional formations, so intentions. Uh, the direction of your uh, attention, uh, perception, so the interpretation of uh, the data of your experience uh, as a disease, as a boil, as a dart, as a misery, as an affliction. So that, that, um, that contemplation can create an even more sublime uh, disenchantment and dispassion uh, for material form. And the disenchantment and the dispassion for material form uh, leads to not non-clinging and non-craving. And so you can release yourself even from the prison of jhana into a more refined, a sublime state. Um, so any questions about that? Yeah, yeah, so, so like with like this, with, do you think, um, yeah, like it's beneficial to sort of penetrate even into like, you know, the feelings of like pizzi and sukha because they are also impermanent and changing. And so any of the particulars that we latch on to with those make it so that uh, it's, well, <laughs> not reliable. Right, right. So this is just... Uh cutting off um, 
things that are going to take you out of the jhana from happening. So any sort of craving that arises while you're in jhana will prevent the evolution of jhana and and cut off that experience of jhana. So while you're in first jhana, you're not craving first jhana because you already got it. You see the first jhana as uh, unreliable. Um, you see it as changing, subject to disintegration, a blemish, a kind of like it's a wart. So it's not something that you uh, latch onto. Um, In a way, though, do you think that through that, you know, looking into it and seeing that all these um, things, all these forms and whatnot are transient, right, and not worth holding on to, it actually makes it sort of easier to get, you know, the mind into a state of jhana? Of course. That's the whole point. <laughs> so it's a kind of... Uh... The less the want, the less you want something, the easier it is to have, right? I think uh, what is it called? The law of abundance, right? Mm. I can experience first jhana whenever I want, and I don't, and I don't even want it. <laughs> yeah, that that's why um, it's I, not I satisfying. It's, yeah. Ultimately, it's not satisfying. Come no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna, it's gonna come to an end. And... and this is the way that we should look at everything. Um. Also, too, kind of bringing that up, Scott. Right, is looking at the five aggregates and also like different dhammas. Like, for example. You know, in jhana, one can start to investigate things like paticca samupada and and what have you, and even like I I I know um one of the things that I find beneficial is to look at the feeling tones of liking, not knowing, and disliking. So I was just curious what your experiences with that were and and all that thoughts. Oh, okay, can you repeat that? The feeling tones of liking, not liking, and. And and not kind of knowing or sometimes translated as the neutral. So there's sort of those three, right? That yeah. feeling tone that comes yeah, yeah, before yeah. the craving. That's, that's really important. So so one who's practicing correctly uh, will catch um, feelings at the level of either being pleasant, unpleasant, or neither pleasant nor painful. And neither pleasant nor painful can be lumped into pleasant because neither pleasant nor painful really is just another way of saying equi equanimous and that's a pleasant pl place to be yeah. so so fourth fourth jhana is neither pleasant nor painful <laughs> yeah it's no there's no feeling about it at all and that's very sublime maybe someone did a bunch of ketamine or something and they got managed to experience that kind of experience um it happens uh <laughs> Um, but that that's kind of like a good place to be. It's it's good. So that could just be a, another pleasant, in a sense, feeling. But you catch things at the level of unpleasant or pleasant, and then um, 
you don't let the mind like it or dislike it. And let's say the mind likes it or dislikes it. Ooh, I like this pleasant feeling or I don't like this unpleasant feeling. Well, the the next quickest thing to do is don't let the mind um, want it or not want it. And this happens very fast in succession. Yeah, yeah. So you you've seen it to be be very quick. Yeah, no, it's the it's essentially the dependent origination of uh, the minds. Um, the delineation of the mind or the minds, the way that the mind processes and predicts. And uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Carl Friston's um, Carl Friston and his uh, predictive processing and stuff like that. But um, I, I think it's a lot of it's worth looking into for any of those who are interested in a very scientific breakdown of how the mind operates. Um, but yeah, it happens very quick every single moment. Yeah, that's why um, it, it is a practice, a skill, um, a training. How quick can you catch it? <laughs> and uh, it can be a fun little game. Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's a good note to end it on. Unless if you have anything you want to, do you have any questions or anything you want to say, Victor? Oh no. Um, it's just. Just no, no, nothing in specific regarding that. It was, it was awesome. So it's always very good to uh, just meet people and just I don't know. It's just a, the hangout experience that yeah, just all it's like <laughs> the practice. Like it feels less lonely. Yeah, <laughs> just a couple of homies vibing. <laughs> so this is the vibe zone, okay? <laughs> if someone comes in here and is not trying to vibe, they're not allowed. Okay, don't kicked out. So this is, we literally just come here to vibe. That's what it's about. Yeah, I'm going to talk about suttas. I'm going to talk about um, Buddhist concepts and practice and stuff like that. But the the real purpose is just to hang out and have a good time with your buddies. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So thanks for coming. Like I get, I get as much whatever benefit you get out of me. I get benefit from you guys coming here. So I never claim to be an enlightened being. I never claim to be a guru. If people are putting that ideal on me, obviously I've disappointed them uh, at, at, by, by last weekend. I'm very human, you know. <laughs> I, I said some shit that maybe a Buddha would, would not say, but that's the thing is I don't go around claiming I'm an enlightened being and I don't go into people's other Sangha calls to try to convince them how enlightened I am. So. Uh, um if that's your thing then th there's plenty of that out there but uh here at the Damarado Sangha we're just friends hanging out having a good time um yeah so thanks for coming guys really wonderful yeah, yeah. to have all of you yeah. and uh I'm sure I'll see you again soon and uh this has been very very fun thank you <laughs> thank you Scott thank you Victor peace, peace. <laughs>